one of my employees said, I love being in a meeting with you because you'll ask stupid questions. And I told my employee, I said, you know, the, the thing about it is nine times out of 10, I know the answer already, but I know that other people in the room have the question they're not willing to ask. So it's okay. It doesn't do any good if I know the answer or if I explain it, I need the person who owns it to explain it so that those in the room do get it. And sometimes that's what you have to do. Episode 50 at Winning at Work with Lauren Kramer. She's the Vice President of Operational Innovation at Hisho Sushi. What a fantastic episode to have for my 50th episode. It's kind of a milestone, and it just worked out that Lauren, the rock star that she is, joins us to talk about how you can take ownership of your organization. If you are not totally blown away by this leadership philosophy masterclass that she puts on here today. Um, <laughs> you're listening to the wrong podcast. She is absolutely dynamite. Started her career at Krispy Kreme. She is now at Hisho Sushi, Vice President of Operational Innovation. As you'll find out, that's a made-up title, one that she created herself. Makes perfect sense for what she does. What are the value bombs that you're going to pick up in this episode? I've already told you the first one, how to take ownership of your organization. Second thing, you're going to just find out how to get the support you need from leadership to be who you need to be in your organization. You need to, number three, seek out criticism. Four, you need to start asking stupid questions. I love that one. You're going to find out why being a vegetable and being called the glue can actually be a compliment. How to replace yourself. Literally, this is her mantra. We also get into a little bit, as I normally do, into the like, anagram and or Clifton Strengths Finder. That comes up again. And finally, we delve into the topic of how to develop talent. This is an area that she's been doing a lot of work for her current company. So stay tuned. Fantastic episode. I could have talked to her literally for hours, but I managed to get it edited down for one hour. Enjoy. Lauren, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. I appreciate it. We were talking earlier just about this concept of being the glue, and you made some great comments about you know, the COO is, has been thought of that way, or someone has said that they're the glue to the organization. I guess this is such an important topic for growing companies or companies that are going through disruption. Why don't you just tell us, what does that mean? I mean, if someone calls you the glue, you know, is that a compliment? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think Tony, when, when we first talked before we did the podcast, I had brought up that throughout my career, I had been referred to as the glue and even in a conference call, been introduced as the glue. And at that point early in my career, I didn't necessarily take it as a compliment. I wanted, I wanted people in, in the call to know who I was or to know what my role was, but I was introduced as the glue and kind of took it a little bit like what my job role or my job or my role at the time was, wasn't important enough to mention. Later, um, I actually was in a, at a conference and there was a speaker there and the speaker was talking about, this person in your organization that you rarely find, but when you do, you really want to hold on to them. And that person is oftentimes referred to as the glue. And this glue is a person who gets it, who understands 
the different elements, the different departments, the different functions of the organization, regardless of their position. And they're able to connect the dots. They're able to tell you what you may break when you're trying to fix something. Oftentimes we go in and growth mode and we want to add something new or we want to make a change because the way that we're doing it maybe isn't the right way, but, but not knowing that by doing that, you're going to affect all these other things that you may not have seen. Having somebody that sees beyond just the thing you're doing and can understand how everything works together is ultimately what that glue, I think, was being referred to. So now I take it as a compliment for sure. And as I've continued to grow in my career and and continued to elevate in different positions and, and plan for where I want to be eventually, I think what I've learned is that glue, I never knew how to describe myself. I always say, if you read my resume, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But when I'm there, when I'm in your organization, it makes total sense of what I do. And so... See, I think we're going to have to update your LinkedIn profile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lauren the glue, the glue Kramer. Yeah. Well, I've always said my goal is to never apply for another job, right? Is never have to write another resume to, to be needed for who I am and what I bring to the organization, which oftentimes is this intangible thing that is understanding the complexity of a business, being able to understand that very quickly. And uh, the way that I do that is some of the other stuff that we talked about earlier or before, before today. And that's really seeking to understand how a business or organization operates, works and functions. And a lot of that has to do with the people obviously involved there. So, but yeah, I think the glue is definitely a compliment. (laughs) I guess the question is, are there qualities, are there traits that make a person naturally the glue? Or is this something that maybe you need to kind of recognize in yourself that, hey, there's a need, you know, I need to do this. Yeah, I've often wondered the same thing, right? So for me... Because you kind of seem like it's natural, you know, just listening to you talk, you just, you kind of exude that confidence, that energy that, you know, people may not have early in their career, you know? Right, and I, I think I've always been confident. I've always had energy. I think I shared with you, I am a middle child. So my younger brother played D1 baseball in college. My sister got a full ride to sing and had a scholarship for that. And in the 10th grade, I went to a a youth leadership conference. Um, I was selected to go to that in the 10th grade. And at the time, leadership wasn't what it is today. And I'm like, what do you, leader? Is that a thing? Right? Like I was thinking, I'd be an actress. I do this. I have this charisma. What is this? And so leadership became something that I really could own myself and could be something that I could use. And I realized that it was a valuable trait. I think as far as in that, I think is where some of that confidence and that enthusiasm comes in, but that only takes you so far, right? So, and some of the hardest part of being the glue or, or being a person who understands everything is really being able to dial that back in a way so that others feel comfortable sharing with you. Because without understanding of all the intricacies that do happen in an organization, there's really no way to know the cause and effect. You know, if if we do this, these five things may happen. Or I always say, I'm kind of like a vegetable. I'm not the first thing you choose to eat on the plate, but I'm something you know you need. (laughs) And so in an organization, I'm a lot of times the person they come to when they have an idea, everybody thinks it's really solid thought through and they'll often bring it to me to what they quote unquote say, break it, right? To say, before we do this and roll this out to 1200 franchisees, where, where, what are we missing? What are we not seeing here? And understanding the complexities is what allows me to be able to say, oh, well, did you talk to this person or what about this department? Um, And so that I think is really a big part of it. I think 
it can be taught. I think it can be, if it's something that your desire is, it, it should be something that you're always trying to do, especially in a leadership role. No matter if you're in, in finance and logistics, it doesn't matter what department you're in. The more that you can understand about the organization and how systems and processes and things operate, the more effective you can be as a leader when you are making those decisions, right? We want to make big decisions at the, at the highest level, sitting in the C-suite. But if the person in the C-suite doesn't know or doesn't have somebody under them who will bring them that information, then you have, you sometimes break things on accident. And so I think that's a lot of my role is, is really, I'm the person that comes in. Yeah, I'm the vegetable. I'm the, Hey, you gotta, you gotta think through this first. What about this? I know it doesn't, I know this is not the, the glamorous part. I always say I'm not, my job is not very glamorous, but it is the thing that keeps the wheels turning a lot of the times of, so that we don't have a, a break that costs us more time or costs us more money that doesn't need to be spent. You know, inside of 10 minutes, you've referred to yourself as glue and vegetable. So, I mean, if that is yeah. not a hands-on person, Lauren, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, you know, I, no I often... Ego, Lauren and no ego, Kramer. Well, um, I, well, I definitely have ego for sure because I think that comes from the confidence. But I think well, you, have to, you have to understand the reality of who you are in an organization and what you bring. And I currently work with a lot of very strategic people, and I always have, very strategic, high level. And I can be that person. But when you show up and if let's say everyone else around you is thinking high level and strategic, then your job is to switch into that other mode that you have to say, Hey, what about this and that? Um, and oftentimes it's the things people don't want to think about. That's why I say vegetable. Cause it's like, I don't want to have to do that. Like I'd rather have the piece of pizza. I'd rather have the thing, but it's oftentimes necessary in order for an organization to, to um, progress and to, to grow. Well, that's a great reminder. You know, if you are in a leadership role and you do have that big personality, you've got lots of ideas. This is the other side of your job that you need to drill into. Right. And that's what we really want to talk about today is, you know, how do you take ownership of your organization? You've done that. You've done it successfully in a couple of different companies. And I do want us to talk about your company, too, because you guys at He Shows Sushi have been going through incredible growth. And you just mentioned you've got some new ownership. So I do want to learn more about, you know, what's happening there with you guys. But tell us, what are some of the practical steps steps that someone can take to start doing this right now? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the way that I look at it is, is really recognizing and seeing a need in your organization. So oftentimes... There are things or there are places or there are departments where things that are just not owned by anyone. It's that thing that the email gets sent around and it keeps going. Oh, I think talk to this person. Maybe check with this person. Oh, check with this person. I usually, when I get that email, I've seen it gone through other people. I just take it. At that point, I'm like, you know what? If nobody else wants to own it, how do I own it? Now, sometimes that means I need to learn a little something or I just, I get involved in it. It doesn't mean that I'll own the whole thing. I'll find the right people to bring in together to say, Hey, it seems like we have a miss here. This is an opportunity for us to be better. How do we do that? And so really looking for those needs or those things that nobody else owns or the their task or the process that we've been doing this way forever. So no, and the, the same person has been doing it for years and years and years. Nobody's really asked them how they do that process. But when you dig into it, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's maybe not the most efficient way to do that. Or, wow, that's a miserable process to, to have to go through. There are technologies that we could put in place or there are things. And recognizing the need is there sometimes when 
it's not on fire or screaming at you, right? We obviously see it when it's a problem or it's broken or somebody, maybe that person leaves after 20 years and now, like, oh my gosh, this was horrible. Number one, no, no wonder they left, right? Because that was a miserable thing to have to do. And number two, you know, nobody else is going to want to do it. And so recognizing the need before the need becomes, I guess, a, a must do or something that is on fire in the organization, I think gives you little wins. And it also helps you to see kind of, and then when you are that person that finds the solution or helps find a way to fix it or make it better, then you now know how that process works. And that kind of ties into that glue mentality of, I know how this process works. So I know when you do this, honestly, I know what it's going to cost you. And I always say when people ask us, Hey, can you do this within the organization? It's going to cost time, money, and it's going to, and I think understanding what it's going to cost you in time and money and happiness is a big deal, right? So when you ask somebody to change something, do something, okay, well, this is going to cost these three things and making sure that that's worth that cost. Interesting. So you said time, money, and happiness. Yeah. Or quality of life. You could call it quality of life, but yeah, sometimes somebody's like, let's, let's do this. And you're like, Oh wow, that's great. That's great. And then you get down to the person that's actually going to have to do that or Wait, that's going to take, that's going to be a miserable thing to have to go through. Now, sometimes it's totally worth that. But you also want to make sure that you're recognizing that effort that's being done by the the person that's being asked of, because you may change their role completely, right? And so making sure that you at least recognize it, you understand it, and you can, and you can take those actions to, because people have to do miserable things every day. I do, everyone does, right? But it's making sure that you understand that going into it too. I like what you said though, because it's like you're looking at, the functions or the processes, things that are coming through your organization or like a, a work process or something flows into you and something flows out of your organization. So it's like looking on either side, left or right, up, down. And like you just said, we have an opportunity to make this better or my gosh, that's miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got to yeah. fix that. Yeah. Like, why are we doing it? You know, I've asked myself that a lot. It's like, why do we do it this way? And I think seeking to understand maybe because a lot of times you'll bring a a solution and say, we've tried that. Oh, we've tried everything. This is the only way to do it. Right. Everyone's heard that of, Oh, we've, we've tried that. Okay. Well, let's talk about when you tried it and why it didn't work. Because just because it didn't work last time doesn't mean it's not going to work this time. Well, I'm curious. So with your title VP of operational innovation, which is a great title, I really, thank you. Really? I don't think I've heard that before. It's I don't very... think it exists. I found, I actually read a, a Harvard Business Review article about operational innovation. And one of the quotes in it was, there's not going to be a vice president of operational innovation at your organization. This is more of a, and I was like, actually, and I took it to my <laughs> boss and I said, I would like to be this person. I think this is, I think what I do, because it's really about blowing up the way that you always thought it should be done or would be done or in this industry, this is the way it's done and looking for the best way to do it. And that doesn't always look like the way that it's been done or the traditional sense of it. And, and that often is what we do in our organization. Um, my department oversees training and development of our franchisees and our, our corporate employees. It oversees research and development and innovation. So all product development or we own our own supply chain. So any new products that we bring in. And then we also oversee franchise relations and implementation. So franchise relations is making sure that, you know, they're happy and and that we have a national advisory board that they can voice their opinions, but then also we um, oversee implementation. So any of those new innovations that we've come up with, we oversee the process of getting them into the field. And so 
all of that interacts in our organization to really make and establish processes for everyone. And so it's something that I'm, I love what, I love what we do and, and it's right there. It's not a very common thing and it's not something that most people see in an organization, but I think it's something for our organization that really, really helps differentiate us. You know, that's, it's kind of interesting because it really sounds like the culture of the company embraces what you do. I can't imagine trying to take over this role. Like people who are listening to this episode right now and they're thinking, yeah, you know, that's what I do. And then they hit these really stiff headwinds, right? Mm -hmm. No one wants to go through these changes. You just said time, money, quality of life. That's got to be a pretty miserable position to be in if your company doesn't <laughs> embrace this, right? How do you – Definitely. <laughs> you're I, laughing. Uh-oh. I think I just well, touched a nerve. No, I think you're right. It's um, Number one, I take comes down to leadership. So I've always been incredibly blessed to work for people who recognize what I bring to the table, embrace it, and really um, encourage me to be more of who I am. So – being encouraged to do that is really, really important. And I said, I'm a vegetable. And I actually came up with that when I was talking to my, my boss, because I oftentimes bring things up that people don't want to talk about. It's not fun. Like I am not, I, I used to say I was a little, yeah, the, I, I, I always used to say I was the little rain cloud that followed people. Like everyone's like, Oh, it's a great idea. And I'm like, Oh, it's going to rain. Right. Like that little gloomy cloud. And, and oftentimes I've felt that way. I've felt, man, is this, am I, Am I bringing something that people don't want? But then I also have to understand that the reason I'm bringing it, I am an us and ours, not a me and mine person. So somebody in my kind of role has to be somebody that, that thinks more than what they do. So I did this role for two years before it was my title. I was in charge of training and development for two years at, at the organization. And that, and I would often have people say, why are you in the logistics meeting? Why are you in, this doesn't make sense. But it, it was because that's who part of what I do is who I am. And so I think a lot of people maybe that are listening that feel like I'm naturally in this place, right? Like I'm, I'm being called into meetings that I don't know why I'm there, but they've asked me to, and they've asked for my opinion, finding a way to, to talk and to discuss that with your leadership and say, Hey, this is where, this is where I bring value. I think vegetables are valuable out of everything on your plate. It's the thing you need the most, right? Like it's the thing that is very valuable, but it's not always enjoyable. And so I think being the vegetable is probably not enjoyable all the time either. But yeah, I think an organization embracing this is super important. And I, I don't think I could do what I do without having leadership that supports it. And then I think the way to get people at the organization to adopt it is for them to understand that you care and that you, un when they know that you understand their process and you understand what it's going to take, that's a big deal. So for me, as you mentioned, I work for a company called Hisho Sushi, which is the, the second largest sushi company in the U.S. So we have over 2,000 locations in grocery stores, hospitals, universities, corporate offices, and most recently in military bases. And it's a franchise organization that really, we have about, I think, 150-ish employees. And it was owned, it was owned, the, it was owner-operated till about three years ago when it was purchased. And I came in after that, um, that purchase happened. And so I came into an organization who had built it from the ground up. Most of the people had been there most of their career or they had been franchisees and then they came over. And so the first year was me just really digging in and, and understanding 
how it works, why it works that way. Obviously, they built something successful in 20 years to get where they were, right? They had to do something right to get there. So let's understand all the things they're doing right so that when we make the changes for the things that we think can be enhanced, we don't break the right things, right? Or the things that we don't mean to, to break. So Exactly. Do the things you do well. Just do them even better if you can. Right. And people want to tell you about what they do or they want to share it if they really believe you want to know. If you go in and say, oh, so about what you do, and then you don't pay attention or you don't show that you get it, that's not always great. And so for me, I had to win over our operations team, which... They've been in this, they've been in this industry and in our company for years and years, 10 plus years. And they had to get, cause right. I'm going to get, you don't understand. I'd never been a sushi franchisee, right? I've never done that. I, right, right. I don't so how know. How could you possibly know? How Lauren? could you possibly get it? Right. And I, I had experience working in, in retail and running a fast food restaurant and doing those things, but you're right. I'd never had that experience. And so without doing it, can you understand it? And I think in the past, they never had anyone that really tried so hard to understand it, to grasp it, so that when decisions were made, they took that into account. And I think by showing them that, right, it's not something you can tell them. It, you, they have to see it there you go. day in and day out. The decisions you, you have to be the person in the room when somebody else says, we should do this. It says, wait, hold on. Have you thought about, and when they see that click for you or you, they know now you are making decisions for them that will benefit them and their and they they're not having to protect the franchisee because they know somebody else is also trying to do that. I think you show up as being genuine and authentic, and you're living that, and that gave you continues to give you the respect. Right, you can't just come in as though it's your job and you're just auditing. That an auditor is seen as a a conflict, a friction. This is very different, although it could be very painful, right? Having to go through these changes. Yeah. And I think being able to adapt in, in different things. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram at all. Um, so it's a, it's a personality assessment. There are numbers one through nine um, and everyone kind of fits into one, but the, the personality type that I am is the type three. And that person wants to achieve things, right? But at the core of it, they want to be significant. And I think showing people that I'm not seeking power, I'm seeking significance. I want to make a difference here. You have to get people to understand that. You have to get people to see that through your actions and through the way that you show up every day. Um, I'm this way at this organization and I love it. And I've been this way at every organization I've ever been at. Because, well, you're this way at home. Yeah, this is the way I show up in life, right? This is who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Like who I am in life is a person who is going to be passionate about what I'm doing and wanting to do it right and do it the way that it needs to be completed because that is what I want everyone to be successful, not just me. Um, when did this dawn on you? Because I've gone through this process. It, this occurred to me. Unfortunately, it happened, I would say, later. I didn't have that light shined on me maybe as early as you did. So, so when did you have this kind of re revelation that this is who you were and you started telling people, really that this is, you know, these are your strengths and you started really leaning into them. Do you, can yeah. you recall? Yeah, Tony, I think for me, I've, I think most people struggle with understanding how they are perceived. They oh, yes. don't, they don't know how other people perceive them. And I oftentimes found myself, I'm, my mom says I am honest to a fault. So I'm very, 
I'm just very truthful. Like the way that I see it is the way that it is. I always say my mouth will get me in trouble one day. It hasn't yet, but I'm sure it will. And so for me, I would oftentimes find myself telling other people, most of the time, my bosses, maybe how they were showing up that other people that they weren't noticing. They weren't seeing that about themselves. And this started really early on in my career. And I realized I needed to understand that about myself. Um, and I have always been an overachiever. And so very few times when I had performance reviews, would somebody give me critical feedback? They would be so happy that I was there. They'd be so happy that I'm already doing more than the other people that are in my role that they didn't want to rock the boat with me. It felt like, like, I can't tell her that she's not good enough because like, oh my gosh, she's already doing more than I expected. It's like they were trying to protect the relationship rather than seeing it as an opportunity for you to grow and and maybe round something out. Right. And so for me, I started looking for it myself then. I started seeking out the people who maybe it felt like they did, like in leadership roles, it felt like they didn't really like me, right? I think I was young and I was ambitious. And so it was very easy to see that in a room. And I would start almost trying to get feedback from them and understand how they felt about me. And then... I started doing every personality assessment you could. So Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, everything that I could to, to learn more about me. I've always been the kind of person that wants to understand who I am and how I show up and how other people do that. So I oftentimes tell people, I'm, I am very aware of how people feel about me in most scenarios. Um, because- that's kind of gutsy. I think that's pretty cool, but I think it's kind of gutsy that you did that. Yeah, it but I needed it. I needed to understand that. I always say, um, I'm going to people that you think don't like you. (laughs) Yeah. Or that I, or that I knew didn't like me for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, how many people have done that? I I don't know. know. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I guess, I guess you have to be a kind of person that would stand out enough that somebody wouldn't like you. But I think people, you just, you can tell in a room, right. When you say something and somebody doesn't take it the right way, especially earlier in my career, when I was younger, that, a lot of people didn't think I should be in the room to begin with, right? I needed them to, but I needed them to get it. I needed them to understand why I was valuable. I needed to prove that. Maybe it was just me trying to prove something. Um, but yeah, so I would say that really helped me. And then the Enneagram, I, I, my, my former boss at my last company actually told me about it and I didn't really pay too much attention to it. And then when I, I moved here to this company is actually when I started looking into it. It's not something that's done in a lot of organizations because it's, um, uh, it's foundational. It's foundation has been more in, uh, like religious kind of framework, but a lot of people have applied it. It's, it's, I guess it became more trendy in the last couple of years. And so in doing that, um, it's just something that really explained to me. It's, it also tells you about your challenges and your weaknesses and where you struggle and, when you take this test and then you read the struggles of it, usually it's like, oh my gosh, how did they know that about me? Most people have that reaction of how did you know that about me? So um, I started doing that yeah, about- How did they design those few questions and like nail it? That's I what, don't know. Yeah, if you haven't done it, you really should. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, I was a little resistant to it, Lauren, just because I'm one of those that doesn't want to feel boxed in. I never oh, want to- yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of like- I, yeah, I do. I, my husband's the same way. And him and I actually did it. We did it more personally right before we got married. And it has been the, it was probably the single greatest thing for us the year that we got married. Cause we got married. We bought a house. We did all these things. And it, it explains a lot of why you make decisions or why I care yeah. about it. If, if people, if my lawn looks good outside or why he cares more, if we have the right, um, he's a perfectionist, the number one. So he's all about 
the thing has to be exactly correct. It's okay. If it's okay, if it doesn't look good, it's about what it, how it operates. And I'm like, no, it needs to look good too. Like that, that's, I care more about that first. So, um, it's just, yeah, I think it's a really good thing, but I think from a leadership perspective, the more you can understand about yourself and how you show up and how others perceive you, the more beneficial you can be. I tell my team all the time, I have an internal monologue that says, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. You need to be quiet, be quiet. Let them talk, let them talk. I have that I in my head. I could totally see that. I could totally see that because if you know, if your job is to know everything, you might have a tendency to fill in information, but you really need other people to fill in the, fill in the vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's, I said, I always say it's giving them space to do it. Uh, one of my employees said, I love being in a meeting with you because you'll ask stupid questions. <laughs> and I said, I, okay. You know what? I just watched something about from um, Simon Sinek. You know, he just said, you know, uh-huh. you need to be the dumb. <laughs> I think literally that was the topic. You need to be the dumb person in the room. And you uh-huh. need to ask. Them. Yeah. And I told my employee, I said, you know, the, the thing about it is nine times out of 10, I know the answer already but I know that other people in the room have the question they're not willing to ask. So it's okay. it doesn't do any good if I know the answer or if I explain it. I need the person who owns it to explain it so that those in the room do get it. And sometimes that's what you have to do. Yep. Well, you had also mentioned something to me that I, I thought is, is fascinating. And we've all heard this when it comes to succession planning, right? You've got to replace yourself. Yeah. And you have some pretty interesting ideas about this. Uh, so how do you replace yourself? Yeah. So um, I started my career as a trainee, a, a manager trainee for Krispy Kreme. And my job was to, after six months of training, was to run a fast food restaurant. And while that was a great learning experience, that was not necessarily where I wanted to end my career. And so I recognized quickly that the best way to get out of that would be to find someone else that could do it better than me. And so I used to tell every person that I hired or that worked for me, as soon as someone wants it as bad as I do, works as hard as I do, and knows as much as I do, they can have this job and I'll find another one. Somebody somewhere will need me. And so I started living by that. I every And I mean that today, as soon as somebody wants my job here and has that ability... I will get out of the way because most of the time, if I can help set a foundation, then somebody else can come in and probably do it long-term better than I ever could have. I just love your attitude. You've just got this great attitude about that. Thank you. I appreciate Uh, it. I think people get scared, right? People get scared. I talk to a lot of people in business and I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way you present it. Possibly. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about it is, is, is so many people get to a level of leadership where they feel scared and they feel that, you know, there's obviously, especially being a woman, you have this imposter syndrome that shows up and all of these things, they're all true and they're all real, but people just get scared of not being valuable, right? That, oh my gosh, if they figure out what I do is not that difficult, they're not going to need me, right? They're going to replace me. Well, I would just rather replace myself. And so Every time I left a Krispy Kreme, there was an employee there who could take the general manager position at that moment. And so I've always tried to work myself out of my job and to bring up people. If I see somebody that can do my job, by gosh, do it. Like I, and now in my role, what I've started doing, because 
I'm not going to work myself out of this one probably as quickly is I look for tasks that I like, let's say I just put a process in place at our, our current company and the complexity of putting it together. It was something that I was very integral in, but until I replace myself or work myself out of that job, I am stuck doing it. I am stuck being the answer to the question. And so why wouldn't I bring someone else along that I see has the potential, right? And empower them to do it, teach them everything that I know, and then let them have that responsibility. Most people would look at them and be like, oh, well, then what are people going to think I do now? Well, my, my job is to help others now. In the role that I'm in and at the level that I'm at, it's to bring other people along and to show them that they have more capability than, than they even knew they had. And sometimes that's, hey, we didn't have a good process in place. And maybe putting a process in place is not your skill set. I can help you with that. Now you do the process and I'll get out of the way, right? Because I don't do the process day in and day out every day well. That's not where I strive. So I really think replacing yourself has to do with knowing that you're not the smartest person in the room and understanding where your strengths do lie so that you can find the person to, to maybe take over that that process when it is in place. You know, I think you boiled it down there. So practically we've all heard the expression, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So how do you replace yourself one process at a time? It makes sense. And one person, right? Like you've got to have the person in a lot of, in a lot of ways and, and recognizing one of my, one of my strengths in the strength finders is individualism. So seeing what people in like the individual brings to the organization or, and so sometimes I'd always in probably most of my life, I've had people around me that people are like, I don't really get it. So my husband, like I said, very different than me, introvert. I said before, most people, when they meet me, that they know how they feel about me after the first time meeting me, they know if they like me or they might be like, she's a little much for me, but they have a strong <laughs> feeling about me when they leave that, that conversation. My husband, very introverted, People meet him and leave, especially when we first started dating. And they're like, I don't, I don't know I how don't I feel know. about that. I think about that person yeah, yet. Like, I, don't, I don't know. And, and he never showed me enough. Right. They, I, I, and I'm like, hey, what do you want to know? I'll tell you everything. And so I think for me, really kind of understanding that I saw in him the things that I love about him and that made him special to me. Right. I see that in people in organizations too. Right. So the person that's sitting in the room who maybe didn't wasn't the loudest in, in the, the, um, in the meeting or didn't seeing where their, their, um, skills, their abilities, the things that, what makes them unique, finding that and how that can add to an organization, I think could be really, really valuable for replacing yourself in an organization as well. Well, you you brought this skills finder up twice and everyone's heard me talk about it now ad nauseum because, I'm a, I've, I've taken that test, that, that exact one, the Clifton Strengths Finder that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Um, so is individual individualism, is that one of your top five? Yeah, it is. Is that your, is that your first one? Um, I would have to go back and see. Um, I'll put you on the spot. Do, do you have woo? I do not have woo. See, I would have thought you had woo. Most people would, yeah. Um, it's funny with the, the Enneagram. What I was talking about earlier, um, what's funny about that is most people think I'm an eight because that is the person that is looking for control. It's the challenger. It's the person in, in control. And so in a corporate setting, that person shows up a lot of time 
as, you know, needing control, needing whatever. So people think that's me where that's only because of the role that I'm in. So if I need to have woo, I can have woo, not a problem, but that's not necessarily one of my strengths. That's not your normal. Yeah. You're a bit of a chameleon. I think is that I know that. doesn't. Yeah. No, that's part of the, um, being a chameleon is part of the three on the Enneagram actually. Um, I just found my five. So my five are communication, strategic, individualization, significance, and activator. Ah, okay. Yeah. So communication's your first. Mm-hmm. I've not met someone with that one first. So in activation, uh, activator's your fifth. Mm-hmm. So activator is my first. Okay. And my second one is ideation. Oh, okay. And I have someone on my team who is individualism and it's, it's great because she is really, really good at seeing what everyone is really good at and she helps keep the team together. So in a way she is sort of that glue. So I, I know what you mean. Yeah. And I think for me, like for this test, like I did this test in 2016, right? So years ago, and it's not something that I come to every day, right? It's, it's, I think along the way as, as leaders are emerging and as they're recognizing themselves in their organizations Continuing to, everyone talks about, you know, professional development, but I think personal development is almost just as important. Understanding who you are, what your strengths are, focusing on those and, and really understanding how to surround yourself with people who maybe have the strengths you don't have. Like you just said, oh, my personal, my team has this. That is so important in being successful and finding people around you who have maybe the skill that you don't have. Instead of running from that, finding it to help you is, I think, something that is incredibly valuable. That's to me that it made sense. So every time I hire a new person, the first day I have them take the test and everyone else on the team, we've already taken it. We know who we are. So we literally, we go in on a grease board and we ride up and we talk through all the different skills that are top five. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you begin to see how the team forms and how we're all together and how we're going to support each other. And you can just give each other examples like there are times when something needs to be very, very detail oriented and that's not really me. So I'll go to someone who I know is, and I'll say, Hey, we need to talk through this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I just think things like that for yourself, even if it's not something that your organization does, like none of these were things that my organization said, Hey, we're going to do this together because not every organization is going to do it. Right. So it's, it's about seeking out things for yourself to really, sometimes understand yourself better to, sh- to, and I think that helps me understand my value. So you said earlier, you know, like I, I have referred to myself as, you know, things that are not necessarily the most glamorous and, <laughs> Glue and um, uh, right, vegetables and, and, and that's okay with me. And I also continually talk about working myself out of my job. And so all of those things would lead you to believe that I am just going to be unemployed here soon. But but I understand the value that I bring because I know what I have innately. My resume reads very strange. It makes no sense. I have a uh, degree in recreation training and fitness. I worked for a donut company. I worked for a manufacturing bakery that made buns for McDonald's. And now I work for a sushi company. It doesn't make sense. Um, I've done HR. I've done operations. I've done international operations. But what's more important is who I am that shows up. Because I know I will learn whatever I need to learn to be successful at this. And I'll work really, really hard. I'll work harder than anybody else that'll show up. But I think understanding who you are is sometimes more important than understanding or having a certain skill set. That being said, there are people who need the skill set. I.e., my husband who 
is a computer programmer. He needs to know how to code. That is his job. <laughs> that's not kind of how I show up. I leadership, I think, is my skill. But that's probably why you guys fit together because together it's more of a holistic. Yeah, absolutely. We complement each other in those ways for sure. Well, we had also talked about you know different hiring techniques, hiring strategies, and I think we kind of landed on this idea of developing talent because that's really what you're doing at the end of the day as you're as a servant leader you're developing people you're trying to work yourself out of a job the only way you can do that is that if you're developing talent and you had mentioned your organization is very diverse people from lots of different backgrounds so how would you give us some or or what tips can you give people to develop a you know such a diverse uh, background of people yeah, absolutely. So, um, like I said, I mentioned, I worked with Krispy Kreme for a while in, in the stores. And then my next role was in the international department. And so I actually helped open Krispy Kremes in eight countries. And so I got to travel and work with people from all different, um, countries and, and really to, to learn from them and learn and learn how to teach somebody how to make donuts in Russia is something very different and something that's challenging. Um, so it started foundationally, just like honestly trying to teach someone how to make donuts. And actually when I was training at Krispy Kreme in the store, the, the man who taught me how to make donuts didn't speak English. So if I made a good donut, he'd put a thumb up. And if he, <laughs> if I made a bad donut, he'd put his thumb down. This is at three in the morning working third shift oh in Riverdale, Atlanta. And so, yeah. It, you know, and I was, I graduated semester early. So my friends are still in college and I'm literally working third shift, learning how to make donuts. Um, and I had to learn how to communicate with somebody who, who did not speak English in most cases. And so I think it started really early there and I didn't realize what was happening. Right. And so then fast forward five years later and I'm in Russia teaching someone how to make donuts and I'm using that thumbs up, thumbs down that I learned five years ago at, you know, 21 working in this, in this Krispy Kreme in Riverdale, Atlanta. And so it started there. And then as I, my next job, when I was in Nashville at, at that bakery, I was telling you about, we had probably 10 different people that spoke, 10 different languages within our, our actual on the floor in operations um, and, and working in the, the manufacturing part of it. And I was doing HR at the time. And so I, the thing that I was talking about that was the hardest thing to do was benefits. So as a young 20 something year old, I had not really, I didn't really understand benefits for the most part, right? Like I still was like, mom, what do I sign up for? In, in a lot of cases. Right. So Am I still I had, dependent? Right. Like we're, we're, and so now I need to not only understand benefits, but I need to explain benefits in a way that people understand who do not speak English as their first language. Right. So in many cases, it would be sitting down with them and trying to explain something to them where I had to know they got it right to make the decision for themselves of which which insurance they, or taxes or all the things that you have to make decisions you have to make when you are you know, getting a job or, or signing up for something. So I learned that really quickly with open enrollment of how to kind of try to do that and use pictures or other things. And then fast forward to this role where I would say about 85%, 80% of our, our organization, um, English is their second language, but a lot of them have higher levels of education than, than some of the other people that I've worked with. And so then you come into this cultural, how things are different, right? How somebody shows up in an organization. And so with having such a diverse population, a lot of it is working through knowing that sometimes I just have to be quiet and give people the space to speak. Sometimes I have to ask for it. I've told my team, tell me when I'm wrong. Please tell me when I'm wrong. And I don't know that they 
knew I meant it in the beginning until I really, because in the past, maybe they had other bosses who didn't want to know that. And so, um, or that they didn't feel that was their place because I was in a role, like in a level of authority. So a lot of times I introduce myself as, um, I work with these people, right. Versus I am the boss or I, and, and that is an intentional way for me to show up and say, Hey, while there is a, you know, hierarchy in the organization, I am a team player. I am a teammate. I need people to fully believe that I am because that's how I feel, right? Like a title only means as much as you want it to mean, but, but really showing up in an organization and, and making yourself, I would say approachable (laughs) and making yourself open to feedback and really, and if people aren't giving you feedback, finding a way to do it. I know this one time I have a call with my team every morning with COVID we're all virtual. So we have this call. And I noticed when I came on the call, everyone was talking. And when I left the call, they would stay on the call and talk. But when I was there, I talked a lot and not many people contributed. So I called one of my employees who I know would give me an honest answer. And I was like, well, why, why does nobody talk when I'm there? She's like, you don't let them. I said, huh? Okay. Let me think about that. Oh, she's good feedback. Yeah, she's my she's my one employee that I know will always tell me the truth, right? Even if it hurts, right? And I need that. She's my vegetable sometimes. And so, yeah, right away I said, okay, how do I open this up for more conversation? How do I challenge my how do I look for ways to do that? And I think that's really important. Um, and then I think the other the other really big key to helping people grow is listening to them. And so it's Having and making and creating space for people to share with you who they are, what their dreams are, understanding who they are outside of their job. That's something I learned with He Show is it's what makes it the most unique company I've ever worked for is it feels like a family. And I mean that when people come there, they want to work there because it feels good. I remember when I ran my Krispy Kreme, um, the CEO at the time came into it and I wasn't there one day and he sent me an email the next day and he said, I want to let you know, I go to your store sometimes, but I just want to feel good about this because everyone there, when I'm there, I want to be in the back working. Everyone looks like they're having fun. Now, are they having fun every day? Probably not. But to you want to be in a place where you feel valued and you feel like you matter. And I think that's what he shows done really well. And I've just been able to come in and, and add on to that. I don't think I created it by any means, but I think Making sure that we didn't lose that when we underwent new management was a really big thing in keeping us successful. And for those people who were already with us to help us in the growth that we have had, you know, I taught some people how to use the shortcut keys on the keyboard, which seems kind of crazy, right? Like, doesn't everybody know control C and control V, but they didn't know that. And a lot of them hadn't necessarily been formally educated in the United States. They've been doing their job. They know how to do it, but maybe some shortcuts that I knew, Right. They just didn't have. And so not looking at that and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you don't know that. But saying, okay, what else, what else can I show you? What else can I share with you? How do I, how do I bring that up in an organization and, and not, you know, I don't want to offend anyone or make them feel like they don't know it. I want to make sure that they just know I'm here to help them cut down on some of the stuff they have to do or make their life easier. I think that that's the vibe I'm getting is that you're, you, you create an environment where people feel free to talk about what they need help with rather yeah. than having them struggle with the imposter syndrome and, oh, my God, if they find out I don't know how to do this. 
I'm going to lose my job. Yeah, right? I might not be. Yeah, I might not be here anymore. And I'm like, no, 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 you bring. And that's, you know, I think we got that. A lot of times I would have people that would come to me and ask me questions or um, and they're not questions I need to answer. They're questions for other people. And so that was, I'd always say, okay, let's, how do we get this question? How do we get you comfortable asking this to the, to the other person, right? The person that needs to answer the question or how do you let them know that the last thing you want is to be in a meeting, explain something, leave. And then everybody be like, what did they say? what do they want? Right? Like everyone's like, Oh yeah, sure. Sure. We got it. And then you walk out of the room. They don't know. So really kind of making a, a safe place where people can ask questions. And, and our leadership does that so well. They encourage failure. They encourage mistakes. They encourage, um, challenging the status quo. Even if that means sometimes we're going to make mistakes along the way, um, calculated mistakes, but that's the only way you grow. And I think for me, finding the right place to bring who I am to work has been probably the most impactful thing, right? Being in, just being lucky enough to be in a place that embraces that and also feels that way um, has made me able to really become comfortable in it even more. You just said something though, and I just wanted to highlight it because it was kind of interesting. You were thinking about a situation where someone was needing to ask a question you were not the person with the answer and the ant, the person was say over there and you had to sh find out, okay, well, how can we make this? So you feel comfortable asking mm -hmm. them what, what do we need to do for you to go to them and ask them? And so something as basic and simple as that you just, um, you took down a wall, I think. Yeah. And I, I look at that as part of my role in training and development, right? So I look at that as professional development for somebody because a lot of the times, and people felt comfortable bringing stuff to me because I often asked them, like, what about your job sucks? Like, what's the worst part of it? How do we make this better? Tell me where the problems are. Show me the bad things. And so sometimes people didn't think everyone wanted that. I would know that they did, right? I would know from the leadership side that they, they wanted that feedback. So that when I would hear it from someone else, I had to figure out the best way to say, Hey, by the way, to leadership, you're not, you're not getting everything from these people that you need. Like they're not being completely bringing it to you. And then to those people of, Hey, your job is to go to them and to bring it to them. And they do want it. And to make sure that they felt safe doing that. Um, and that I knew by doing that, that they would be, if I didn't, if I thought they were going to take it to somebody who was going to have a negative reaction to it or wouldn't be open to it, that's one thing. But in most cases it was just, um, removing myself from that. And I would, yeah. And I would say that my job was to, re to remove the need for people to do that with me. And I think right now I have like at our organization, I'm not needed the way that I was in the beginning. I was one of the first people to come in, uh, with our transition of management. I was, uh, the, besides our CEO, I was the second person that came in from the outside. Um, so just kind of helping us navigate through all the different people coming in and, and making sure everybody got it was, was really important. Um, but I would say that at this point, things work pretty autonomously without me. And I love that. Like, that's the whole point. I don't, I always say when I'll know when I'm done, when I'm not needed anymore and I am needed, but at this point, but yeah, I think, um, working myself out of that is always, I feel like I could talk to you. I literally feel like I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, before we go, this is an opportunity perhaps for you to, you know, put a call out. If, if, is there a certain skill set or a certain talent that you guys are looking for, perhaps mention it now and people could maybe forward a resume to you directly. I, I don't know. I just want to give you the opportunity to, you know, kind of broadcast if, if there's a need for something within the organization. 
Oh, wow. Um, I, I am sure we, so we are expanding, um, a lot right now. One of our biggest ventures right now is we are going into, well, we're, it's a non-traditional space for us, but that is the military. And so we're opening our sushi bars in quite a few of those. And we have actually a, a craft beer bar that we have developed that we are putting into a lot of concepts. And so, um, definitely as we grow, we are looking for leadership at that store level, somebody who can come in and in an organization where you, you know, as things, we are 20 years old and we have 2000 locations, but we have only a few of these craft beer bar locations. So as those grow and as we are recruiting for those, our HR department is always looking for general managers and people who can run those, but people who want to get into that role and develop what that role is, right? Not just coming in and it's, I'm coming into this cookie cutter kind of, it's, they know what they're doing. It's, it's somebody that wants to come in and be a part of the team. And I would say that's kind of at he showed the type of human that we're looking for. The type of human is the person that comes in that wants to be part of an emerging brand that doesn't have all the answers, that is not perfect, but wants to be part of that family to help us get as close to there as we can and help us grow. And I think somebody that wants to take ownership of the space that they're in and the organization that they're in and know that they can make change wherever they are is, you know, that's, I think the kind of person we're looking for. So I would say, you know, for the stores, that leadership in the stores at that store level. And then corporately, just if, you know, you have a passion for people. And I always say, if you love sushi, you don't have to love sushi. I just happen to love sushi. Um, but yeah. Who yes. doesn't love sushi? Come oh, on. lots of people. Lots of people don't like it, but luckily. Sushi and craft beer? Are you kidding? I know. Right? What a better combination. I know. It's great. It'll be fun to, to kind of check back in and see how many more stores and how this whole new uh, concept is, is just going to, to take off. I think it's great. Yeah. Warren, you have just been a just a, a bright beam of sunshine, I think. <laughs> I think you – yeah, I think. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe, you know, vegetables aren't so bad now. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe they're uh, not. Yeah, maybe. Not such a bad thing. You know, be a vegetable. No, seriously, I, so much great information here. Um, thank you so much for kind of sharing your, your your wisdom of how other people can go about trying to take over this very needed position, you know, within every company. Yeah, a position that doesn't actually exist in, in a lot of organizations, right? You just kind of find yourself there. And I hope that I hope that this, if anything, just brings you know some clarity for anyone that's listening that may not understand kind of where they where they fit or where they belong or how to how to verbalize what they do with the organization. Um, I think that is what it has done for me has helped me really understand the value that you bring, even though sometimes it's not written in a perfect job description for you. So hopefully that will bring some clarity and some value to, to some of your listeners. So I really appreciate you having me. It absolutely will. And I think I'm going to put some links in here too, for uh, the Enneagram and also for the Clifton Strengths Finder. I think it's a great, it's a great tool for people to dig into. Oh, Lauren, thanks again so much, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Tony. Have a great day.